Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Death of Death podcast, where we proclaim Christ's victory over sin, death, and everything else. I am your host, Nick Stewart. Hope you're doing well. I've got a a short episode for you today. I had uh, another episode planned, and it was providentially hindered. That's all I'm going to say about it. So we're doing this one now. (laughs) Uh, Something I've been thinking about um, a little bit lately and just thought it was worth kind of expounding here on the podcast uh, is this theme that kind of repeats throughout Scripture. It's essentially the, the question of whether God is holding things back from us. Uh, we see the the first instance of this in the Garden of Eden when the serpent basically tells Eve that God doesn't want her to flourish. Uh, that was kind of the essence of the lie, and that basic accusation pops up over and over throughout the rest of the Bible. I remember a short film I saw probably 10 years ago that was called uh, Thoughts of a Dead Atheist, and it depicted an atheist dying and having to play chess with the devil. And I can't really remember the whole plot, but the uh, atheist uh, won the chess game, uh, so he got to decide if he wanted to go with um, God or with Satan, if he he wanted to go to heaven or hell. And at the end of the film, the dead man chooses to go with the devil because the devil convinced him that uh, he'd be free. In pop culture, God and the devil are both presented as imperfect choices, really. One is a bit of a rascal, maybe, and one is like a schoolmaster who doesn't want you to have any fun. Uh, You know, heaven is boring, and hell is like a mildly uncomfortable party, and uh, that's not at all reality, but that's kind of the prevailing view of it. It's amazing how the, the lie that the devil told in the Garden of Eden is still being recycled over and over. You know, does God keep good things from us? Does he, does he not want us to be free or to have joy or to have fun? Uh, the first point we need to make is that, yes, like God does keep some things from us if he has a purpose for it. Often we find that uh, if he keeps things from us, those things either turn out to be really bad or they just aren't part of his good plan. Think about the garden. You know, God tells Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you know, having knowledge doesn't really you know sound like a bad thing so why does he not want them to have it uh well there's a lot to consider here you know this is after all the story that colors everything in the bible that comes after it uh first it's not merely a tree you know it it was a test god used to determine if uh, he should grant eternal life to adam and eve Uh, it wasn't the knowledge that was bad You know, the tree didn't represent knowledge only, but uh, the choice to determine good and evil for yourself, to make yourself the decider of things, Uh, you know, when God is ultimately the decider. It wasn't keeping them from knowing the reality of good and evil, but making that choice for themselves. Another common misunderstanding about the tree is that it's somehow magic. It wasn't. Not really. Um, there, there wasn't something magical in the fruit that changed them into creatures that suddenly knew things. You know, it was the decision to eat the fruit that God had forbidden that changed them. It was the sin that changed them. God uh, told them not to eat it, and they committed, um, you know, what R.C. Sproul would call uh, cosmic treason. 
against God when they when they ate it anyway. Um, see, the Bible doesn't really tell us anything about that fruit besides the fact that God told them not to eat it, and he told them that they would die if they ate it, and we see that once they did eat it, they were changed. You know, they died spiritually that day, and they died physically later. So if we look at it that way, it doesn't necessitate anything supernatural or magical about the fruit itself, but the fact that human beings up until this point had not disobeyed God, and once they ate that fruit, they had. This is where understanding the destruction of sin is really key. It's a, it's a big deal for mortal, limited, created beings to shake their fist at the eternal, infinite, holy creator, you know, to essentially tell him, I can, I can make my own decisions about good and evil. No, you can't. You know, you can't tell the standard of good morality and holiness that you know better than he does. Freedom is another huge aspect of what happened in the garden. You know, people accuse God of not wanting them to be free. But in reality, Adam and Eve's state in the garden was as free as human beings were ever going to be. Uh, in Reformed theology, there's obviously a big controversy over the issue of free will. I guess I shouldn't say in Reformed theology. I would say, uh, you know, in theology, there's a big controversy. In, in Reformed theology, it's pretty settled. But uh, I'll tell you something general about free will, and then I'll tell you something specific about the garden. In general, free will is a philosophical concept that was developed centuries after the Bible was written. That doesn't say anything to the reality of free will, but just that the Bible doesn't really have much to say about it. It wasn't something people thought about that much. Um, determinism, on the other hand, uh, also has its fair share of biblical problems, so that's not the full story either. Our free will is limited by our nature and the sovereignty of God. However, we are held responsible for our actions, and we are making choices. Our freedom as creatures is also severely limited by our sin nature. We aren't free to fly because it's not in our nature. That's about as specific as we can really be. Everyone must make sense of the fact that the Bible holds Joseph's brothers responsible for selling him into slavery. And yet that same portion of scripture also says that God sent Joseph to Egypt. We call it compatibilism. It essentially means just that. It means our free will is operating within the bounds of God's sovereignty. Uh, once when I, I was talking about these things with Steve Carr, you know him. He's, uh, he's been a guest on the show before. I think it was episode 47. Uh, he told me uh, we're predestined to have free will. <laughs> now, that's a funny statement, maybe slightly ironic, uh, but it really does capture well what we're talking about. It's it's not necessarily that God has the big events planned out and predestined and then the small stuff is up to you because the big stuff is often quite dependent on the small stuff. Uh, it's more along the lines of, of the things you choose by your free will are also predetermined by God, <laughs> which, you know, makes your head explode. Uh, God sent Joseph to Egypt and his brother sold him into slavery. Both of these things have to be true if we are to take the Bible at its word. But specifically for the garden, Adam and Eve were free. It doesn't, you know, we've been talking about the, the nature of free will after the fall of man. This is before the fall. Um, you know, uh, Adam and Eve were free, and it, it doesn't mean that God didn't know what they would do, because obviously he did. He's omniscient. 
uh, it means that they were free to eat that fruit or not. If they weren't free and God made them eat the fruit, then God is ultimately responsible for their sin. And that's bad Bible. Um, you know, there, there is a way in which, you know, when we're talking about Judas and, and other things, um, that, you know, God kind of ordains or predetermines sin without actually being responsible for it. But in the case here in, 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 uh, the garden, you know, he would ultimately be responsible for all the sin that would come from eating the apple. And it doesn't mean he didn't know it or didn't in some way plan it. Uh, it just means that he was he was not a coercive force in <laughs> in them eating the fruit. Um, if they weren't so, if they weren't free and they ate the fruit, or you know, God made them eat the fruit, then you know that's not quite what happened. If they weren't free and God didn't want them to eat the fruit, but they did it anyways, like He predetermined them to not sin and they did it anyways, then that's a design flaw, and that's also really bad Bible. Uh, however, if God's plan didn't account for them eating the fruit at all, then that's also a deficiency in his creation and a deficiency in his plan. And you guessed it, that's bad Bible. So they had some level of freedom to choose. We don't know the specifics. We don't know how it all worked, whatever. But they made a choice that damaged the nature and the will of human beings ever since. Our nature as human beings is now a nature of sin, which has fundamentally changed the nature of our freedom. We make choices out of a nature bound by sin. Um, Romans 7 says that we're either slaves of sin or slaves of Christ. I would ask which one sounds more free to you. Uh, but, you know, he takes us from being bound by the nature of our sin. And when we are saved and regenerated, we are now uh, slaves to Christ. And we are in that nature now. So God was not withholding freedom or choice from Adam and Eve in the garden. The serpent was lying to them. He told them that if they ate the fruit, they would be like God. But here's the thing. They were already like God. They were made in his image. God had already given them something better than what the serpent was offering. All the serpent was offering was to, you know, to, uh, you know, obscure that image that they were given. He, uh, God had given man dominion over the rest of creation, uh, creation that he had just called good. Uh, so he gave uh, man dominion over this good thing that God created. And, and that doesn't sound like God holding out on them at all. Uh, in fact, uh, it even says that uh, he gave them every tree in the garden to eat from except that one tree. <laughs> he had given them more than they ever needed. Uh, he was also offering them eternal life. You know, the garden, like I said, the garden was like this testing period. And if they had refrained from eating the tree of good and evil, they would have been given the fruit from the tree of life and they would have been granted eternal life. And he makes a similar offer to Israel before they enter the promised land, uh, this land flowing with milk and honey. It sounds like a paradise, right? Like a garden. Deuteronomy thirty nineteen says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. But the lie the serpent told in the garden is one that continues to this day. The assertion that there's more to have outside of God. It happens all throughout the Bible. Um, one I noticed recently was uh, Balak talking to Balaam 
in uh, Numbers 24.11. By the way, that's how you know the Bible's not made up, because if someone was making up a story, they would choose names that sounded more different. Um, (laughs) uh, Numbers 24.11, Balak says, I said, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. Balak is telling him, you know, I was going to honor you, but because God told you to disobey me, I'm withholding that honor. So it's really God's fault. Likewise, we see God providing an abundance of food to the people of Israel while they trekked through the wilderness, and yet they still complained about the food that they missed back in Egypt. It's just like the trees in the garden. Like, they have all these trees to eat, but they want that one that they can't have. Um, You know, and you know exactly why they're crazy, because they talk about how much they miss onions in Egypt. I'm not making that up. Numbers 11.5 literally says they miss the onions that they had in Egypt. Gross. Onions are a result of the fall. Prove me wrong. Always said that. So just like in the garden, they uh, had all the food they could ever want, but they feel like they're lacking something. You know, they feel like God is holding out on them and they complain because of it. Um, Satanism uh, has an interesting role to play in in this concept. You know, even though most Satanists don't actually believe in Satan, uh, they don't believe he's real, but he's more of a symbol of rebellion and individualism. Uh, They view him as the liberator of mankind in a lot of ways. You know, Um, some even use the Bible. They just interpret it differently in favor of Satan. But he came to Adam and Eve to, you know, to free them from the oppression of God. And they see the history of the church as just this continuation of oppression. And ironically, they are too deceived and bound by their <laughs> sinful will to see that what the devil did was not freeing at all. It was the opposite. You know, the pagan nations in Psalm 2-3 say, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. They want to be liberated from these ropes that they see as binding them from God. You know, they don't want to, they don't want to be bound by anything. They seek liberation from this evil, oppressive God. But, but what does it say right after that? Psalm 2, 4, he, he who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. God laughs at them. And with good reason, he is the only one who could truly liberate them who could free them from the tyrant of sin, yet they see him as the ultimate tyrant and they seek to be freed from him in order to live under the tyrant they're not even aware of. But sometimes he does withhold things from us, but it's never without a purpose. You know, Paul talks about that thorn in his flesh and he asked God to take it away and God didn't. Um, 2 Corinthians 12, uh, 8 through 9 says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul asks God to take away the thorn in his flesh. Whatever it was, you know, we don't really know. But God had a better purpose for Paul, so he doesn't take it away. He wants Paul to rely on him. So God does withhold things from us when he, he has a purpose for doing so, but he also gives us so much more than we ask or even desire from him. Jesus compares God the Father to a father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. 
Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now that doesn't mean he gives us whatever we want. It means that out of the good things he intends to give to us, he doesn't hold back at all. Ephesians 1 is basically a long list of all the things that he freely gives us in salvation. Uh, election, he chooses us. Holiness, he sets us apart and conforms us to Christ's image. Uh, adoption, he makes us legal sons and daughters with all the same privileges. Uh, redemption, he pays a great price to buy us, you know, he pays the blood of his own son. He makes his will known to us. Now, specifically in Ephesians, that refers to the global plan of the gospel and how the Jews and Gentiles would be reconciled to each other through Christ, but it doesn't exclude the teaching of the entire Bible that we now have today. And it also says that he sealed us with the Holy Spirit, meaning that we aren't going to fall away or lose our salvation. That's only Ephesians 1. There are uh, lots of blessings the Bible tells us we have. You know, even though God doesn't owe us anything, he could have left us in our unregenerate state and let us die there, but he chose us and redeemed us and he sealed us. So if we are ever feeling like there's something we want or deserve to have, but God is withholding that thing from us, we've already made a lot of unproven assertions. We're assuming that we need to have that thing. We deserve to have that thing. <laughs> We're assuming that thing is good. We're assuming there's some flaw in God's character that would cause him to keep something from us. We're assuming that he doesn't have a reason for keeping that thing from us or that he doesn't have the right to keep that thing from us. I mean, just think about all the assertions we're making. You know, we should all take comfort in knowing that God gives us exactly what we need, and he's not keeping anything beneficial from us. He doesn't give us some things providentially, but the things we need, the things that we really, really need, he gives us those things liberally and generously. There's no better example of that than giving us redemption through the blood of his son. All right. I said it was a short show today, and I meant it. Dottie, clear my schedule for the rest of the day. I'm off. Thank you to everyone who bought a t-shirt during the 15% off sale. They are already in the mail and on their way to you. Uh, if you want to get 20% off all merch in the online store, you can achieve such a thing by joining the Elect for only $4 a month. You also get the Elect exclusive podcast where we're going through Christopher Hitchens' God is Not Great. And I think that's all I've got for you today. So um, hope this was a good episode for you. Hope you got something out of it. And I'll talk to you all next week. Mm-hmm.